All right, Ezekiel 39. Ezekiel 39, verses 17 to 22 is our text for tonight. I want to read the passage and we'll kind of go back and review a little bit. And thou, son of, God, uh, son of man, thus saith the Lord God, speak unto every feathered fowl and to every beast of the field, assemble yourselves and come, gather yourselves on every side to my sacrifice that I do sacrifice for you, even a great sacrifice upon the mountain of Israel that you may eat flesh and drink blood. You shall eat the flesh of the mighty and drink the blood of the princes of the earth, of rams, of lambs, and of goats, and of bullocks, all of them fatlings of Bashan. And you shall eat fat till you be full and drink blood till you be drunken of my sacrifice which I have sacrificed for you. Thus you shall be filled at my table with horses and chariots, with mighty men, and with all men of war, saith the Lord God. And I will set my glory among the heathen, and all the heathen shall see my judgment that I have executed, and my hand that I have laid upon them. <clears throat> so the house of Israel shall know that I am the Lord their God from that day and forward. So much has been said already about the prophetic details of a war that can actually happen any time in the near future. A war that will take place in the Middle East involving a confederacy of nations instigated and led by a leader from the north with every intention to destroy and ransack the nation of Israel and take the land for themselves that belongs exclusively to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The confederacy of nations which we learned about back in chapter 38 is presently in place. Nations, as mentioned there, and let me kind of remind you of some of them, Persia, which is Iran, Ethiopia, which is mostly Sudan today, Libya, which is Libya, and all of them with shield, not to mention the ones mentioned before, which speak of the region of, of, uh, of uh, Turkey and uh, uh, some of the uh, old Soviet states that are now independent states, but most of them are, are, are Muslim states, and then references to uh, Russia and, uh, and, and that part of the north, which is all north of Israel. But they're all in place, much like the nations that will be confederate against Israel, nations that are lying adjacent to Israel and are named in Psalm 83, and we're not going to go there, but you can read it, we've already studied that. And that is a war that should precede the Ezekiel 38-39 Gog-Magog war. So we're looking at two wars to happen in a very short amount of time and uh, they're going to be short wars because the nations that are up against Israel are really not realizing that God is going to fight for his people and destruction will come, and it will come quickly. So the Lord has made it very clear through the prophet Ezekiel that any nation or nations that choose to come against his people and land will be severely judged and destroyed. Much of what we've studied in chapter 39 already pertains to the, the details of the swift judgment that will come upon those armies of Gog and Magog. Gog is the leader, Gog, and uh, Magog would be, you know, the, the nations themselves. Aside from the methods and means that the Lord will use against this army, there is already a promise, as we studied last time, a promise of graves for Gog's multitude. Implying, of course, the deaths of multitudes, that it will take seven months to prepare them for burial and seven months to bury them all. So now last time we, we made some distinctions between this war, which would begin at the onset of the tribulation period, 
and a similar war we call the Battle of Armageddon that takes place at the end of the tribulation period. We compared and contrasted earthquakes because both uh, events have earthquakes that pertain to uh, that time, the beginning of the tribulation and the end of the tribulation. So we compared and contrasted those. Uh, we also talked about the timing of the burial of these bodies, which couldn't take place so close to the revealing of Antichrist at the middle of the tribulation period, which would be the three and a half years uh, marker, or the time of Messiah's return to set up the millennium, millennial kingdom uh, at the end. So we, we're making distinctions between the two wars. The land will certainly need to be cleansed after such a devastation that we've read in chapter 39. <clears throat> but it needs to be known that in the thousand year reign of Christ, which is called the millennium, or the millennial kingdom, the land will already be cleansed. It, it is cleansed, Jesus wouldn't come in if it wasn't already cleansed, so he cleanses it by his, his return. The land and really all of the earth will be changed to some degree, even though he will reign on the earth for a thousand years. The land is going to be cleansed already. So there's no cleansing that needs to be taken in and around the end of the tribulation period. So there are great distinctions between the Gog-Magog war that is at the beginning of the tribulation period and the Battle of Armageddon, which is at the end. But we face another question in the passage, and we're studying that this evening, and that is, it has to do with the fowls and the animals that eat the flesh of the deceased. So let's go back to verses 17 through 20. And it says, And thou son of man, of course that is the name that God has given to Ezekiel, And thou son of man, thus saith the Lord God, Speak unto every feathered fowl, in other words, literally in Hebrew, it speaks, speak to every fowl of every kind of wing. So that's the literal translation. Speak unto every fowl of every kind of wing and to every beast of the field. Assemble yourselves and come. Crying out to these animals and these birds. Assemble yourselves and come. Gather yourselves on every side to my sacrifice. The Hebrew word for sacrifice literally means slaughter. Gather yourselves on every side to my sacrifice that I do sacrifice for you. Even a great sacrifice upon the mountains of Israel that you may eat flesh and drink blood. Now we're familiar with, with birds that actually do that. We're familiar, of course, with vultures and buzzards and, and there's other kinds. I know even eagles are, 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 are kind of a scavenger type of a, of a bird, but there are others. You shall eat the flesh of the mighty and drink the blood of the princes of the earth, of rams, of lambs, and of goats, of bullets, of all of them fatlings of Bashan, Bashan, a, a, a region where, where great cattle was raised and, and used for many different things, primarily as well for offerings. And you shall eat fat till you be full and drink blood till you be drunken of my sacrifice, of my slaughter which I have slaughtered for you. Thus you shall be filled at my table with horses and chariots, with mighty men and with all men of war, saith the Lord God. That's kind of a chilling passage, isn't it? I mean, just when you read it. But the Lord's judgment on Gog and Magog is pictured here as a great feast or supper. The guests that are invited to this feast will be these birds and the wild animals. The language we, we read is, is graphic in describing the humiliating defeat of Gog and his allies. All these soldiers will be a sacrificial feast for these scavengers and, and wild animals of the field that, is, that are described on the battlefield as eating the flesh and drinking the blood of these soldiers. 
But if you'll notice, even the officers and the rulers of nations will be offered as sacrifices to these animals. So it is going to be a different kind of war than we're used to. And these animals will gorge themselves on flesh and blood until they are drunk. Well, this scene is described in other passages of scripture. And it's not always going to mention the, the, the birds and the animals, but in some cases it does. But I want to begin by, by pointing to Isaiah 34, verses 1 through 3, where it says, Come near you nations to hear, and hearken you people. Let the earth hear and all that is therein, the world and all things that come forth of it. For the indignation of the Lord is upon all nations and his fury upon all their armies. Now, we, you know, we mentioned Houston a little while ago and, and, and the fact that God is trying to wake up our nation. Multiply what we have seen this past week when it goes from his warning to his judgment. And I'm not saying that this isn't judgment. There is a, there is a sense of judgment in all of this, what we're seeing today. But a judgment to awaken is different than a judgment of God's wrath and God's fury, which the Bible is very clear that it is building up. You read some of the Psalms of David that describes the Lord whose bow is going back and back and back and back and back as far as it can go. This, this, is, his, this is his patience. But at some point, the fury will be let loose. So it says, For the indignation of the Lord is upon all nations, and his fury upon all their armies. He has utterly destroyed them. He has delivered them to slaughter. Their slain also shall be cast out, and their stink shall come up out of their carcasses, and the mountains shall be melted with their blood. These are graphic pictures. Some of you are saying, oh, this is too graphic for the Bible. But you like to sit in some of those scary movies, right, and see all the blood and guts. <laughs> their slain also shall be cast out. Their stink shall come out of their carcasses. I, I can assure you that one dead body lying dead for a, a time has an odor that is you'll never forget. Can you imagine a whole battlefield of this stench? It lets us know something. It lets us know that our flesh stinks. How we need to be made alive in Christ, spiritually. We, we had a, a great theme for, for our men's retreat, awaken the new man in Christ. The old man needs to be put away. There's a... Uh, illustration that we've used when we, when we go through the book of, of Romans and it talks about uh, the picture is that there is a, a you know a, a person who still depends upon the old nature is, is, is like what they used to do in, in uh, the Romans used to do for prisoners that uh, they would actually tie a dead body onto a prisoner and the prisoner had to carry this dead, this dead body around. And, and for days, and it would just, you know, carry the stink. But also what? The disease. The disease on the body. And so, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a horrendous picture, but it's, what it's telling us is this is what our flesh is like when we're not trusting in the Lord and living for the Lord and being a new person in Christ. The old passed away. Behold, all things have become new. 
Jump down to verse 6 in Isaiah 34 where it says, The sword of the Lord is filled with blood. It is made, fatness, it is made fat with fatness. And with the blood of lambs and goats, with the fat of the kidneys of rams, for the Lord has a sacrifice in Bozrah and a, and a great slaughter in the land of Idumea. Idumea would be in, in Edom, which is uh, one of the enemies of, of Israel. And the unicorn shall come down with them, and the bullocks with the bulls, and their land shall be soaked with blood, and their dust made fat with fatness. But notice this, verse 8, for it is the day of the Lord's vengeance and the year of recompenses for the controversy of Zion. We know from the scriptures that the Lord tells us, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Vengeance is not ours. Vengeance is his. It's his recompense. He's perfect. He knows when, what, where, how, and why. And we need to let him be God when he comes to his judgments. But don't forget what we're told in the scriptures by Peter that judgment first begins for us in the house of God. And if that's the case, then what's going to happen to the world that has completely rejected the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Consider, if you will, Jeremiah 46, verse 10, because here again we're told something about the day of vengeance. For this is the day of the Lord God of hosts, a day of vengeance, that he may avenge him of his adversaries. And the sword shall devour, and it shall be satiate, and made drunk with, the blood, with, the, with their blood. For the Lord God of hosts has a sacrifice in the north country by the river Euphrates. And then there's a statement that we find in Zephaniah chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. Now, if you've never read Zephaniah, it's a little book, but here's the thing. Don't skip over the minor prophets, because they're not minor. They're really major prophets in, in, in short book form. Zephaniah 1, 7, 8 says, Hold thy peace at the, pres at the presence of the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is at hand. For the Lord has prepared a sacrifice. He has bid his guests and it shall come to pass in the day of the Lord's sacrifice. Do you continue to hear that word sacrifice? Same word, slaughter. That I will punish the princes and the king's children and all such as are clothed with strange apparel. Well, we could spend a lot of time with that. But when it comes to the Armageddon conflict, when it comes to the, the struggle of understanding the, whether one is the other, one is, you know, which one is it? This is an interesting thing here in, in Revelation 19. And we're just coming back to, to looking at all the scriptures that mention this, this slaughter and this destruction, the reason why. But in Revelation 19, verses 17 through 21, it says, And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men the flesh of horses and of them that sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the one who sits on the horse, of course. I'm sorry, that's not a Mr. Ed reference to those who remember Mr. Ed. I wasn't going to say a horse is a horse, of course, of course. But they were making war against him that sat on the horse, speaking of Jesus. Speaking of Jesus. Against his army. And the beast was taken. And with him the false prophet that brought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. And these both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth. And all the fowls were filled with their flesh. So many people will compare then what we read here in Ezekiel 39 with this passage in Revelation saying it's got to be the same thing. Yet we've already proven by looking at the other passages that we saw last week that they're really distinct uh, wars and distinct battles. Because the Psalm, I'm sorry, the Ezekiel 38-39 war, we don't see Jesus 
on, on, on his horse. That's a different battle. But we do see him in Revelation chapter 19. But what, what, we, what we do know is that the Lord allows this to happen, the, the birds of the, of the air and, 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 the, and the, the wild animals to come. He allows this to happen several times. And why? Well, first and foremost, because God is in control of the birds and of the beasts. Would you not say that he's in control of, of all things? He certainly has dominion over all, all of the earth. And we know then that he will allow this to happen at the beginning of the tribulation period as well as at the end. So it doesn't have to be a, you know, it doesn't have to be a specific time that it only happens because it can happen just as we've, we've mentioned other things that happen at different times, but they have different uh, uh, situations or different uh, examples for each war. Just as we studied Psalm uh, 38, I'm sorry, Psalm 83 and Ezekiel 38, two different wars because of the different armies that were fought. Yet, to some extent, the conclusions are the same. A swift judgment because God is standing for Israel. So I want you to consider a couple of things. I want you to consider Psalm 7, verses 14 through 16, and some words that we find here. Because we need to understand why the Lord, I'm going to move this a little, okay. We have to understand why the Lord does what he does when he judges the way he does. Because to some people they say, how could God do this? You know, we have people today that get upset at God for, you know, taking someone and their, their family away. And they say, you know, that God took them away by death, you know. How could God do that? And they blame God and they never want to have anything to do with God. But who are they? In comparison to a God who actually loves the people he's created. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And we, we act like we're the creators. But we're not. So I, I, I take you to Psalm 7, verse 14. It says, Behold, he travaileth with iniquity and has conceived mischief and brought forth falsehood. He made a pit and digged it. Now, I just want you to think of this in general. I've, I've talked about this principle before. A, 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 a person who is in just a, a, a deep sinner conceives mischief, brings forth falsehood. He makes a pit, he digs it, and is fallen into the ditch which he made. He digs a pit because he digs it for someone else, but, but he falls into it himself. So understand verse 16. His mischief shall return upon his own head, and his violent dealing shall come down upon his own pate. A pate is, is the crown of a head. So it comes down upon his own, upon his own head. So think about that when you think about all these nations that have come against Israel and are now coming against Israel in, in, a, in, a, in a massive way. There's a massive armies. Now I'm talking about two armies here, of course, Psalm 83, different armies than Ezekiel 38 and 39. What are they coming to do? They're coming to destroy Israel. They have been saying this since 1948, almost 70 years. They've been saying that they want to drive Israel into the sea. And I'm talking about modern Israel, but drive Israel into the sea. Those have been the words of, 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 of many of the Arab leaders from the 40s all the way to today. But then when they finally come up to physically do this, whatever they intend for Israel is going to be fallen upon them. That's why I bring this up. And there's one other thing that I want to show you, and that is Psalm 75, verses 6 through 8. Psalm 75, verses 6 through 8. Now, verse 6, is, you know, we take this verse and we say, well, you know, promotion cometh neither from the east nor the west or from the south. 
so, you know, if, if God promotes us, you know, a lot of times we use it for our job. Well, I, you know, if we get promoted, it's because God did it. And that's true. There's nothing, not, not to make light of that, okay? But here's, here's what this is all about in context. For promotion cometh neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south. But God is the judge. I see, we don't want to ever read on, but we should. God is the judge. He putteth down one, and he setteth up another. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup, and the wine is red. It is full of mixture, and he poureth out of the same. But the dregs thereof, all the wicked of the earth shall wring them out and drink them. So what, it, what it's saying here is, is just that he sets up one, he puts another down, but there is judgment that's coming. And... He says, the dregs thereof, all the wicked of the earth shall wring them out and drink them. What are the dregs? Well, if you like coffee, it's like the coffee grounds. Uh, you know, the, that's left in the coffee uh, pot, you know, in the filter, depending on what kind of coffee pot you use. Now, if you use a French press, you know, you press all that coffee down on, you know, after it, it you know, hot water is on the coffee that's just loose in there. But then the French press pushes all the dregs down to the bottom. So you don't like to drink the dregs, right? But God is saying there'll be people who are going to be judged that are going to be drinking the dregs. So the worst part of everything. That's part of the judgment. If this is what they intend on Israel, this is what they're going to get. Okay, with all that in mind then, that takes care of some of this ooh, really weird stuff. But we're not done with the weird stuff yet. So the next section of chapter 39 deals with the revelation of God's power. And it deals with Israel's future as well. So we read in, in verses uh, 21 and 22, it says, And I will set my glory among the heathen. And by the way, the, the word heathen, goyim, is, is nations also. So I will set my glory among the nations, and all the nations shall see my judgment that I have executed, and my hand that I have laid upon them. So the house of Israel shall know that I am the Lord their God from that day and forward. So the Lord's purpose is going to be very clear. He is going to accomplish his purposes in the prophetic plans that he has for the latter days. So what that's telling us is no matter how old the prophecies are that are pointing to a future fulfillment, every prophecy of the scripture is going to be fulfilled. Every scripture, every prophecy, every promise will be fulfilled. And this is to say the heathen will know this and Israel will know this. The nations will know it and Israel will know it. He says, I will set my glory among the nations and all the nations shall see my judgment that I have executed in my hand that I have laid upon them. God is going to set his glory among all the nations. In effect, they're all going to see it. All the nations will see it. Do we live in a time, let me ask you this, do we live in a time where all nations can see the same thing at once? Yes. I mean, they're going to see it, whether they're going to see it on CNN or Fox or, or the, you know, Nickelodeon. I don't know. They're going to see it. But they will see it after the judgment is executed upon Gog and Magog. They will see it. They will also recognize something else. They will understand then that all the sufferings that the house of Israel has endured through the many centuries of its captivity and the scattering among the Gentiles was because of their iniquities and their sins, their rebelliousness and their disobedience to their God. The nations are going to understand that. See, today the nations are looking at Israel as just a, you know, Israel for many nations today is just a thorn in their side. It's like a burr under their saddle. 
It's something that is, for, for, you know, we would say, well, well for, for what reason? Do you know that the reason is because of the devil that hates anything that God has called good and that God has called his own? The devil hates it. And he's instilled in people to hate the things of God. This is why the church of God is hated. This is why Jesus Christ is hated. This is why the things that, that we do when we do them as unto the Lord and not unto men, they hate these things. Even in our own country that had some foundation, you know, in, 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 the, in, in the word of God. Now, you know, where is the foundation of that? It's disappeared. So they're not looking at it as, you know, well, you know, Israel is, we just, we, well, consider how many times since the garden has the devil tried to destroy Israel. How many times? Numerous times. Let me just pick out one that we will know, and that's the Holocaust. And how interesting that in our day and time, there are a number of nations being told, and most of them Islamic nations, being told that the Holocaust never happened. This is what they bring up their children learning. What's sad is what we're not telling our children about our nation in history classes anymore because the enemy has gotten into the public education system to corrupt it enough to keep away from the, the mind and hearts of people, the good and the bad of, of any nation. Look at, the, look at what's happening today. Why now are they taking down statues? Why now? And not 10 years ago, 15 years ago, why did they even erect the statues, as some have asked? And I don't want to go into all of that, but the, the point of the matter is this. The world isn't looking at Israel today from the standpoint of their sins, as to why you know, there's this, this, this judgment going on. But we need to understand, we need to understand that Israel went into captivity not because the Lord couldn't save them or that he couldn't stop what happened, but because of their transgressions, their immorality, their refusal to repent and to humble themselves in righteousness before God, before their God. It is no happenstance that the Jews are back in the land of Israel after thousands of years of being scattered among the Gentile nations. It is no accident. And even though they have been victorious in every war that they have fought since becoming a nation again in 1948, surrounded by more than 80 million enemies on all sides, they still exist as a nation and have not been destroyed. We know why. At least we should. Though being outnumbered and outgunned, Israel has been victorious. How can people not see the hand of the Lord upon them? The Lord brought them back to life. That's, that's Ezekiel 37. The Lord brought them back to life, even though to this day, many of them still feel that this has happened to them as a result of their own efforts, of their own strength, of their own might, and their own intelligence. Many of the Jews today that live in Israel don't believe in God anymore. They go through all of the festivals. They go through, you know, they, they, they celebrate them all. But they don't believe. God will deal with that. He knows how. They're his people. Well, let, let God deal with that. But what we, what we find in verse 22 is Israel's relationship to the Lord getting settled. 
Israel's relationship to God is going to get settled. So it says, the house of Israel shall know that I am the Lord their God from that day and forward. Now, there is something that we should know and consider. The Holy Spirit, the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit will be poured out upon the house of Israel and the house of David at the end of the tribulation. All right, so hold on to verse 22 for just a moment. At the end of the tribulation, not the beginning, but at the end of the tribulation, the Holy Spirit will be poured out upon the house of David and the house of Israel. Turn to Zechariah chapter 12. Zechariah chapter 12, one of the last books of the Old Testament. And verse 9 and verse 10. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. And they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. That is going to happen. And if we look at the timing in the book of Zechariah, we realize that that is coming at the time when Yeshua, Jesus, comes and sets up his kingdom in Jerusalem. So from this passage we know that a great number of Jews will not be saved until they look upon him whom they have pierced. But concerning our text in Ezekiel, that points to the beginning of the tribulation, what we're seeing in verse 22 is that there will also be a good number of Jews turning to the Lord after this war and the things that they will see and do during that time. So let's not forget. It's important to understand this. Let's not forget that there is a growing number of Jewish people that have already come to Yeshua as their Messiah. And there is no doubt that the Spirit of the Lord is upon them, just as the Spirit of God is upon uh, upon and in every true believer in Jesus Christ today. Besides, we couldn't even say that Jesus Christ is Lord except that we do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. So as believers in Jesus Christ, we have the Spirit of God. It's been poured out upon us. And certainly we encourage people always to pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, to receive power, to be witnesses unto the Lord. But the fact of the matter is that there will be those and a good number of them at the end of the Gog-Magog war that will turn to their God. Why should they wait? In other words, they've seen God do some great and awesome things. That doesn't mean that all will see it or all will believe it which is an interesting thing because there are going to be seven years still that they're going to have to go through their, their um, uh, chastisement, if you will, their judgment, the last seven years of judgment upon Israel. They still have to go through it. God's going to protect them. God's going to, you know, but at, and at the end, there will be that whole outpouring of the Spirit upon Israel. And as Paul says in Romans 11, all Israel shall be saved. We have to look at verse 22 as a general statement 
that some will know their Lord at the beginning of the tribulation and others will know at the end of the tribulation when they see him whom they have pierced. So going back to Zechariah for a moment, I want you to look now at, at Zechariah 13. So let's go to chapter 13 and let's look at verses 7 through 9. And I found it interesting when I was doing the research here in this, this passage that, uh, that it begins with this word awake. That, we, that, was, our, that was our theme at the uh, men's retreat, but not in this way. <laughs> here it says, awake, O sword, against my shepherd. Now understand that God is speaking, and he's saying, awake, O sword, which is a, which is a type of some form of death, uh, an instrument of death. Not specifically a sword, but of death. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd. Who's the shepherd? Yeshua. And against the man that is my fellow, which literally means the one that is the nearest and closest to me. So who's the nearest and closest to God? <laughs> the Father, that's the Son. So he says, saith the Lord of hosts, smite the shepherd. This is the allowance of Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf. God allowing it. it just, it's, just, it's, it's heavy for us to read it this way. Smite the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered. What happened after the resurrection of Jesus Christ a few years later, nearly 40 years later? All the sheep were scattered. All the sheep of Israel were scattered into all of the world, all of the nations of the world. And I will turn my hand upon the little ones. And it shall come to pass that in all the land, saith the Lord, two parts therein shall be cut off and die. Now, we're not studying Zechariah, but I, you know, there, there's a move from, from the understanding of what, what is done with the Messiah to an understanding now of what is, is going to be done at the end. So if we were, we were studying it, we'd be a little bit more detailed about it. But let me just say, it says, It shall come to pass that in all the land, saith the Lord, two parts therein shall be cut off and die, but the third shall be left therein. And I will bring the third part through the fire, and I will refine them as silver as refined, and will try them as gold is tried. They shall call on my name, and I will hear them. I will say it is my people, and they shall say the Lord is my God." So what it's saying here is that it's important, it's, it's important to note that only a third will turn to the Lord. Uh, only a third will turn to the Lord at the Battle of Armageddon, at the end of the Battle of Armageddon. A third of Israel. And you would say, well, what happened to the others? Were the others the ones that went before? No, because if you read clearly this passage, you find, you find that the other two-thirds will be cut off and not enter into the millennial kingdom because, they're, because of their rebellion. There will be people that are... This is the reason why, why Paul says in Romans, not everyone who says they're of Israel is of Israel. So that, that's an important uh, understanding here. The rebelliousness can be easily seen going back to Ezekiel 20, where, where it says in verses 19 and through 21, I am the Lord your God, walk in my statutes and keep my judgments and do them. Now remember, there's a near fulfillment and a far fulfillment. But here, you know, he's, he's, he's saying this to, to show what's going to happen at both times. Hallow my Sabbaths, and they shall be a sign between me and you that you may know that I am the Lord your God. Notwithstanding, the children rebelled against me. They walked not in my statutes, neither kept my judgments to do them, which if a man do, he shall even live in them. They polluted my Sabbaths. Then I said, I would pour out my fury upon them to accomplish my anger against them in the wilderness. So, one thing is certain. One thing is certain. The nations, both in verses 21-22, but primarily 20, uh, 22 of uh, Ezekiel 39, the nations and the house of Israel will be led to fear the name of the Lord. The nations and the house of Israel will be led to fear the name of the Lord. 
so the house of Israel shall know. We'll go back to verse 21. I'll set my glory among the heathen, and all the heathen shall see my judgment that I have executed and my hand that I have laid upon them. And so the house of Israel shall know that I am the Lord their God. So they will be led to fear the name of the Lord. I'd like to have you turn, if you will, as we're coming near the end of our study, to Psalm 102. Psalm 102. And verses 12 through 15. I can assure you that this isn't the condition at the present time. But it will be because the word of God never fails. And as I said earlier, every promise, every prophecy will be fulfilled. Verse 12 says, But thou, O Lord, shall endure forever, and thy remembrance unto all generations. Thou shalt arise and have mercy upon Zion, for the time to favor her, yea, the set time is come. For thy servants take pleasure in her stones and favor the dust thereof. So the heathen shall fear the name of the Lord. Again, remember, the nations. So the nations shall fear the name of the Lord and all the kings of the earth. Thy glory. Today there is not that fear of the Lord in this world. Not by nations and not by the, the people of those nations. Which is certainly an indication that we are living in the last days. In fact, there is a universal disdain built against the God of Israel. It's building, but it's already been built. A, a scorn against God, the true God, the true and living God, the one true God. I just want to make it clear who they're against. The God of creation. What is, what is the big deal with everybody in the world? Evolution. We evolved. It's a lie. Lie of the devil. They have a disdain against the God and the Father of every believer in his only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. It's amazing the blasphemies that you see on, in, on the internet today against Christ Jesus. But that day is coming. There's a day coming. And after all accounts are settled with the nations and the enemies of Israel, when all accounts are settled, this is what we'll see happen. Revelation 1, verses 7 and 8, and I'll close with this because it's tied, of course, to Zechariah. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him. What have we said? Will every eye be able to see at the same time, as they say in real time? Yep. All around the world. Every eye shall see him. And they also which pierced him. So what does that say? Every eye will see him, which is all the nations. And they also which pierced him, the Jewish people. And all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. You see, we're, we're so blessed to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, to know him personally. We, we pray every day, we, we commune with him. He communes with us. He reveals himself in his word. And you know, when we pray, 
and read the Word of God uh, uh, both prayerfully and, and, and willingly. He, come, he truly comes alive in us, you know. Not that he wasn't alive, he is alive. He's more alive than we are. But when, but when a people that have just this great disdain for God finally see him come, they're going to know. And this is why they wail. Because it's already built inside. This is the book of Romans chapter 1, guys and ladies. It's the book of Romans chapter 1. Everyone knows there's a God. Everyone knows. Even so, he says, amen. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come the Almighty. That's our God. That's our Lord. And I can say this. We won't wail. We'll rejoice when we see Him. But we'll not see Him at the end of the tribulation. We'll see Him before. Because Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself so that where I am, there you may be also. That's what we have to look forward to, the blessed hope of the coming of our Lord and Savior, our great God, Jesus Christ. Amen? So all of these things are important. They're serious. But we can still rejoice. We can still give thanks to God. We can still live for him until that day. And by the way, that day can happen at any moment. So just keep living for Christ. Keep living for Jesus. Because you see, he comes as a thief in the night. He will come. The important thing you need to understand is he will come. So let's be ready for that.